Romans chapter 3. Scripture reading. We'll read the answer to question 33 of the Shorter Catechism. That's on page 871. The back of our red hymnal. Romans 3, just a beautiful and a beautifully clear passage related to putting forth the hope of the gospel, the hope of being reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. Paul, of course, at this point has laid out his case for universal human sinfulness Righteousness is not through the law, and the law brings the knowledge of sin. The, the law leaves men inexcusable, or without excuse. And then he says this in verse 21, hear now God's holy word. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Question 33 of the Shorter Catechism. Let's read the answer together, considering the doctrine of justification tonight. So the question, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. This doctrine of justification is a cornerstone of the Christian life and certainly foundational to the way that we approach what we think about ourselves and how we are to think about the life that we are to live. It is built off of the conviction of this truth that I am reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. He has paid the price for my sin. He has uh, rendered unto God a righteousness that is imputed to me. It's imputed to my account. And therefore, God accepts me, not because of myself, but because of Jesus Christ, my Savior, and I live in him. And I continue to trust in him and continue to believe in him. And because of that, I can live my life 
freely, knowing that God has already accepted me and that verdict will not change. It is foundational to the Christian life. And in many ways, the way that we articulate this doctrine, the way that we exult in this doctrine, the way that we make it a centerpiece of all that we do is in many ways unique to the Protestant world and to the Reformed world in particular. When we speak of comfort, which is obviously central to uh, our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, when we speak of comfort in the Reformed sense, it is a proper grasp of this doctrine that provides much of the foundation of that comfort. We think of the way that our catechism is structured around guilt and grace and gratitude. The, the reason that we can frame all of the Christian life around the idea of gratitude rendered unto God is because of this doctrine of justification. It's foundational. The verdict has been rend- rendered and it reverberates throughout time. On the last day, the day of judgment, there are many things that we don't fully comprehend about the day of judgment. We know that we will give an answer to what we have done in the body. We know that there will uh, be some sense in which uh, the things that we have done are evaluated and, and Christian theologians often agree or disagree about the, the nature of enjoyment of reward because of that. To me, it seems very clear in scripture that the enjoyment of reward uh, will be in some sense contingent upon uh, our own works done in the body, but there's mystery around that, and certainly it's probably true that when we speak of that kind of thing coming under evaluation, uh, we're speaking about all of us entering into the blessedness of eternal life, and we will all enjoy immense blessing and comfort because we are in Christ. But the verdict has been rendered and it reverberates throughout time. When we stand before God at the last day, we will be accepted. We will be granted eternal life, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Right? That is the gospel of grace. That is the good news. God pronounces the verdict of not guilty for believers. And There will be no chance of a true believer ever standing under condemnation. Why is that true? It's because of justification. So we are called to embrace Christ. We are called to embrace this truth of justification. As I mentioned, this is a cornerstone really of Protestant Christianity and of Reformed Christianity in particular. And it sets us apart in many ways. It makes us distinct from other traditions within Christendom. For the Roman Catholic Church... Uh, justification is not a one-time act of God. You have to notice that in the catechism where it says justification is an act of God. A couple questions later, we will consider sanctification. It says sanctification is a work of God, which means it's a process. We say justification is an act because it's a one-time thing, punctiliar. It happens one time at a definite point. But for the Roman Catholic Church, justification is not an act of God, but something that comes about through a process. It remains in doubt in many ways for the Catholic believer throughout their lives, whether or not justification has happened or will happen, whether it could or at what point, before death, after death. 
But even to a greater extent, it sets us at odds with those of the, who have a secular worldview. World I was thinking the, the way in which justification makes the, the Christian approach life in such a different way than the way that we see prevailing secular worldviews. What we believe is most important in life is what God says about us. We think about what is true about myself and, and how I am to think about myself. Well, I need to know what God says about me. What does God say about me? What is his word for me? And we believe that that is true because what God says cannot be changed or altered because God never changes. And then if God... If God's word about us is that we are not guilty, that he accepts us because we are in Jesus Christ, this has immense implications for how we treat others, for how we live our lives. We are called to treat others with the same understanding and compassion and kindness and love that God has shown to us. He has accepted us in our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. There's many ways in which those simple truths contrast so directly with the modern worldview, which is really, you know, if you go out to the world detached from, from Scripture, detached from the teachings of the gospel of Christ and the church, uh, you could summarize one of the more prevailing worldviews with expressive individualism, right? Each individual, individual has the, the opportunity or the calling really to, to find uh, that which is in themselves which they most want to express. That truth that they believe is within them that they would like to declare to the world. This is who I really am. So today people believe that the most important word about us is not what God says about us. But what we say about ourselves. What we believe is the reality within us that we must manifest. Right? I believe I am this trapped inside of this. Right? I believe I am a man trapped inside of a woman's body or a woman trapped inside of a man's body. Or I believe that I was born uh, this way and, and taught to live a certain way in terms of sexuality, but now I believe uh, I want to live differently. Working out from that, that which we believe is within us, it becomes not only that we must live our lives in accord with that truth that is in us, but also, uh, those of this particular worldview will then expect everyone around them to embrace that reality as well. This is why we see in our world, mere toleration is not good enough for many today. Right? If we try to, you know, society has generally been, you know, how do we tolerate one another? How do we learn to get along with our differences? That is not cutting it for many people today. Toleration is not good enough. There needs to be explicit acceptance and promotion of who people are and sort of conforming our lives to this perceived reality. This is why we go to courts over uh, things that seem very silly, right? Using pronouns about someone or providing a service for a wedding. We go to, to court about these things. Because it's not just toleration, there needs to be acceptance. Justification, to bring it back to this doctrine that we're considering tonight, is the foundation for a completely different worldview. What matters most is what God says about us. And when he says that we are forgiven in Christ, and when he says that we are 
righteous. We can then view our, our lives in terms of the freedom that Christ gives to us. Men may scorn us, and people may mistreat us, and people may speak ill of us. No matter what happens, we always live in the magnificent comfort of the beautiful doctrine of justification. God has rendered this verdict about us in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven and we are righteous. The righteousness of God is manifested in Jesus Christ. And that's what we read in Romans chapter 3. The righteousness of God which comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 22. This righteousness of God, which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, could not be a more direct and a more needed word to humanity and the human condition. Thomas Watson says that we may as well look for a star in the earth as for righteousness within us that could justify us. Right? There, is, there is no righteousness within ourselves that would produce that which God demands so that he would say we deserve the benefits of eternal life or uh, we deserve the, to be acquitted at the judgment seat. But righteousness of God and the righteousness from God is what God requires. He is a just judge and thus that is what he demands. And of course, as we see and we know, this cannot be achieved through law-keeping. Later on in Romans chapter 10, Paul is considering uh, the Jews, Hebrews, who try to establish their own righteousness through law-keeping, and this is what he says. Uh, Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, same phrase that you see in chapter 3, seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul looking back on his former life in Judaism, says, this is what I was doing. I was trying to establish my own righteousness. And I did not understand the righteousness of God. So he says in Philippians 3, uh, he throws away kind of everything from his old life, and his desire is now to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What God provides for us in the gospel is so much better than what we could provide on our own. And it's granted to us. It's something that is given to us by God's grace. Romans 1 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This righteousness granted and given. Jeremiah 23 says, the Lord, our righteousness. Isaiah 46, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off and my salvation I will not delay. But this righteousness from God, of course, comes to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is that promised righteousness from Jeremiah 23 or 33. It says this, in those days Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. This is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ 
is our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There you see the divine exchange of the gospel. The righteousness of God is manifested, not from within us, from without us. In Jesus Christ, the Savior, the righteous man, the God-man. The grace of God freely grants to us this righteousness in the gospel. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Uh, theologian J.I. Packer was going through this with a, a few guys this week. Uh, has four basic truths that would help us see how wonderful grace is, but truths that are basically rejected in our world. So this is what, what he says. If we, if we grasp this, if we treasure these truths, if we hide them in our hearts and live by them, then grace will be magnificent to us. The first is this, is the, 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 the moral ill desert of man. In other words, we all deserve condemnation and judgment. Sin is within all of us and with all of us. And we all are called to acknowledge this. Sin is simply when we say that we reject God's way and we want to do it our own way. Throughout human history, you can look and see gross evil, terrible sin, terrible things. And oftentimes, we can convince ourselves that we are so much better than that and there's something to the, the, the relativity of sin and to understand that certain things are more heinous before God than others. And that is true. But we are called to recognize that we all within us say this again and again. No, God, I want it my way, not yours. I want to do it my way and not according to your law. So first, the moral ill deserts of man widely rejected in today's world. You don't have this sense that human beings are guilty before God and conceived and born in sin. The second truth is this, the retributive justice of God, that he will make all things plain and that he will not clear the guilty, but that he will punish the guilty. And oftentimes in scripture, you, you see things, uh, you see passages like God speaking to sinners and saying, you thought that I was altogether like you. Or the fool says in his heart, there is no God, that there, there will not be a day of judgment. Right? Men convince themselves, or they try to convince themselves, that there will not be a day of reckoning. But indeed there will be. The third truth is this, the spiritual impotence of man. That we cannot do anything in and of ourselves to produce anything of spiritual value. And then finally, the sovereign freedom of God. Man is evil and sinful. God will judge sin. Human beings in and of themselves cannot do anything to get them out of their state of sinfulness. God is free to do whatever he wants. If we embrace those four truths, all of a sudden, grace becomes so beautiful and so wondrous and so magnificent. And those four things are absolutely true in God's word. It allows us to see the glory and the beauty of Christ that God did not have to save us, but he does so in his son. 
This doctrine of justification can be described in many different ways. The first is that it is a judicial act of God. God here in the, in the act of justification is acting as a judge. He is not acting as a father. There are other reasons why we embrace God as a heavenly father. The doctrine of adoption, that is God acting as a heavenly father, welcoming us into the family of God. And many people oftentimes feel that justification is a cold doctrine because it has this courtroom feel. It is legal language. But we need to have that that verdict rendered for us at the judge's bar of not guilty, of accepted, of righteous. God acts here as a judge. And it is not a cold doctrine. It is a beautiful doctrine doctrine. You can imagine that certainly uh, human beings don't long for the day where they're in a courtroom and have to hear a verdict that is being rendered uh, for them and for things that they have done. But we will all find ourselves standing before the judge one day. And when we are accepted in Christ, when we finally realize the glory of what he has done for us, We will not see this doctrine as cold, but as glorious and beautiful. Justification, as we said, is an act of God, not a work. I've heard people uh, who memorize the meaning of justification. It is God looking upon me just as if I'd never sinned, right? Justified just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd lived as Jesus has lived, had lived. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Why is it an act of God's free grace? Well, first, he was not compelled to do this. He was under no obligation to save us, but he did so by his grace. Secondly, uh, having decided to save us by his grace, God provided his own son to be the surety for us. To make it so that Christ could be a satisfaction in our stead. This was because of his grace. Thirdly, uh, because the condition of justification is faith alone, it is a gift of his grace because faith is the gift of God. How are we to believe through God's sovereign workings? He's not obligated to save us, but he does so. He gives us his son in order to save us. He gives us the gift of faith from beginning to end To be accepted in Christ is to know the grace of God. Justification is an act of God's free grace, as it says in Romans 3. Justification is irreversible. To have a view of this doctrine to say that it could be reversed would be no comfort at all. You commit this sin or you have a bad day and you lose your justification, that would be living in the midst of terror. But justification cannot be reversed. It is irreversible. Justification is total. What what sins does God forgive? He forgives them all. I was reading uh, Matthew Henry on this part of the catechism and he says this kind of, piling Bible verses upon us. He said, when God forgives, does he forgive all? Yes, Colossians 2.13, he has forgiven all your trespasses. Does he forgive even great sins? Yes, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, Isaiah 1. Does he forgive many sins? Yes, Isaiah 55, he will abundantly pardon. 
Does he forgive freely? Yes, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. Does he forgive fully? Yes, Hebrews 8, your sins I will remember no more. Does he forgive and forget? Yes, I will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Micah chapter 7. One of the things that's, that's beautiful for us to consider is that justification is the same in every believer. Right? There, there may be someone with a very strong faith, very committed to the Lord, uh, perhaps has experienced uh, many sins in their own life, mortified and laid to the side. They are no more justified than the infant believer, very weak in the faith, very new filled with doubts and assailed with doubts. This is uh, one reason why this, this doctrine is a comfort to the weak. There is no believer who is more justified than another. The faith that justifies is also a faith, it is true, that will be accompanied by good works. It is a living faith. So we are not justified by our works, We are justified by faith alone, but the faith which justifies is never alone. This is by the grace of God. And then lastly, we see in Romans 3 that Paul is very earnest to show us that in justification, the justice of God is vindicated. God is not doing any kind of hocus pocus here. He's not doing a trick. It's not a, it's not a sleight of hand. It's not a skirting of justice. What God is doing is absolutely just. And, he, and it is that way because of Jesus being called in here a sacrifice of atonement. God accepts the sacrifice of Christ which pays for sin. He accepts the life of Jesus Christ on our behalf He imputes that forgiveness and that righteousness to the believer so that the sins are really washed away, so that righteousness is really granted, and so that God's justice is upheld. Paul, of course, looks back into former eras of history, and he says, someone may look at the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God before Christ, and say, well, where is this forgiveness coming from? God forgives sinners. He justifies the sinners. He accepts them unto himself. Uh, Whence this forgiveness? How is he doing it? Well, he did it in the fullness of time in his son, Jesus Christ. This, of course, means that all who lived before Christ but lived in faith in the promises of God and the promised Messiah who looked through, for instance, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant worship, to that promised Messiah, that atonement that was to come, and trusted in the promises of God, God, the Father, can forgive and accept Old Testament believers on the basis of Jesus Christ. The last day, we all will stand under the glory of the Lamb who was slain, and all of us who know salvation will have it known in Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, no one will be able to accuse God of being unjust. All sin is paid for, and God may freely grant the benefits of Jesus to the believer. For his wrath is turned away from us, but justly so. 
This actually becomes a a source of great comfort for us. For we know that if God will not spare his own son in order to uphold his justice, we know that he will not act against his character at any point. God is just and he always must be just. Thus, in order for him to be just and to forgive us, he granted us his son, that which was most precious to him. And so knowing that, we know that God will never act against his character at any point. In other words, he will never fail to keep his promises. He will never fail to grant us what he has promised to give us in his son. And he will make good on every promise he has made. It becomes a source of great comfort that God is just and his justice is vindicated through Jesus Christ. So a couple of thoughts as we close tonight. The first is this. If salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone, then how wonderful is it that sin is not an obstacle to salvation. Sinners are to come to Christ. Though your sins be as scarlet, you shall be whiter than snow if you repent and believe on Jesus Christ. This is why we call the gospel good news. Why is it good news? Because salvation is granted freely by God's grace in Jesus Christ. And that means that sin is not an obstacle to come to Christ. God says, look to him, look to the Son, repent and believe, and you shall be whiter than snow. This also means that we depend fully upon Jesus Christ for our justification. As we said this morning in that ministration of death, throw all of your confidence upon Christ. Throw all of your faith. Cover yourself in the work of Jesus Christ. Acts 10, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins Through his name, depend fully upon him for your justification. For he is the ground of our justification of being accepted before God. Next, be humble. Be humble. Matthew Henry, to return to to, uh, him, he says this, Is our faith our own? No, it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Are our good works our own? No, For you have wrought all our works in us, Isaiah 26. Is any room left for boasting then? No. Boasting is excluded by the law of faith, which is the the very next verse in Romans 3. Paul says, what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. Why? Because we are saved by the righteousness of Christ and even that, uh, that by which we appropriate the benefits of Christ, faith is a gift of God. So how could we boast before God? Be humble. If we are humble, this means that God will have all of the glory. The Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Whatever we are, we are by the grace of God. Whatever good things we have, whatever salvation we enjoy, whatever virtue is given to us by the Spirit, whatever standing we have before God in Jesus Christ, it is by his grace. And so God will have all of the glory and boasting is excluded. So be humble for the salvation that you have. And finally, of course, let thankfulness, 
Let gratitude be manifested in your life. God's grace is manifested in Jesus Christ to you. Let gratitude, let thankfulness be manifested from your heart. What is the disposition that a believer ought to have? Thankfulness. So no matter what this world takes away from us, no matter what uh, this life throws at you, you already have the blessing of being found in Jesus Christ, having your sins forgiven, having the this, this sentence taken away of your condemnation, having righteousness imputed to your account. Let thankfulness and gratitude be manifested in your life. Imagine you showed up in a courtroom one day fully expecting that you would be found guilty or perhaps having already known that you have been found guilty. And imagine a friend came and pleaded in the courtroom that day, pleaded with the judge to relent and to change the sentence or to take away the sentence of condemnation and pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. And the judge changed his mind. Or perhaps this friend gave himself and offered to pay the penalty of your sentence. And the judge agreed. How much would you love that friend? How much would you be grateful? How much would you be thankful? How much would it uh, reflect in your own heart? So since Christ has been manifested in history for us, grace has been manifested to your account. The righteousness of God has been manifested in the gospel. Let thankfulness, let gratitude be manifested in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and great God, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for Christ and for the glory of this doctrine of justification. We thank you that you speak this word for all those who trust in Christ and that it cannot be reversed. May we live in the glory of it and may we be filled with thankfulness because of it. We thank you and praise you in his name. Amen.